What's up, my miners of intelligence and consciousness? I'm Rick Brooks, and this is Rick's Mind. Um, I've been thinking a lot about you know passive infl- income, and I went ahead and I found Lane Kawaoka, who's an expert in this field, especially when it comes to real estate investing. So welcome to the show, Lane. How are you? Hey, thanks for having me, Rick. Appreciate it. And no problem, man. So I read, I've been following your work for a little bit. Um, I got introduced to you by Brian. And I just, the first question I got to ask you is how did you end up becoming so wildly successful? Like what was the process behind that? Um, If you can kind of give us an insight into that, that would be awesome. Because most of my listeners are starting from nowhere and you were as well. So how did you end up owning 4,200 real estate properties? Um, I just bought my first one back in 2009 and, you know, it's math, right? I mean, it grows exponentially. Um, it's not a get-rich-quick thing, but it's a get-rich-surely thing. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, simple as that. Simple yeah, classic awesome. cash flow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. So would, was your first property, did you purchase that in Hawaii? And, and are you, um, like, or did you buy in another state? Because I understand the Hawaii uh, rental market's pretty pretty hot. Yeah, so I bought in Seattle, Washington when I was living up there. And just to give a little context of myself, I grew up with this, with parents who taught me to go to school, get a good job, all this BS that really doesn't work, invest in a retirement account. We don't do retirement accounts. Nobody does that in my world. Um, And, you know, like a little good boy and girl, I was good at math and science. I became an engineer, started working, and like another... Still a good boy. I bought a house to live in in 2009, but because I was never home because I was working on the road all the time for work, because that's what they make them the F and G do all the time. Yeah, you. Uh, I just started renting it out, and that was where this all started. That was the first initial idea. So, yeah. were, did you just have like roommates or or? No, I uh, no. That's ghetto, man. I don't want to do that house hacking stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's. Dude, if you're doing if you're house hacking and you're like over the age of thirty, I'm like, geez, grow up, man. But yeah, no, I I wanted, I want the bachelor pad, man. I'm not gonna get my roommates. I'm gonna buy a yeah, house for myself. Um, so yeah, the rent, the purchase price was three fifty back then. The mortgage was sixteen hundred. The, uh, the rents that I brought in was twenty two hundred bucks a month. So for a young twenty something year old kid, twenty two hundred minus sixteen hundred, that was a lot of beer money. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, but I, I knew nothing at the time. We can talk more about this, but like rent-to-value ratios, where to buy properties. You don't buy in Seattle or probably markets like California, for example. You know, like I, I knew nothing about this, but I made a little bit of money, and that was the start, right? I think yeah. that's the first step was never perfect. What, one of the places I've kind of been looking at investing is like around Iowa, especially like the Davenport area. I feel like there's a lot of tech companies moving in there, and there's a lot of chances for potential growth. I think Minnesota, especially like uh, Minneapolis, is kind of played out, but I think that maybe parts of the Midwest would be a good place to maybe get my foot in the door. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, sure, man. I mean, as long as the numbers work, right? I mean, yeah. like, so th- we look for this thing called the rental value ratio being higher than 1%. So you calculate that by simply taking the monthly rent dividing by the purchase price. So if you're higher than 1%, you're pretty, pretty
pretty much good to go to kind of do continue to do more due diligence, right? Mm -hmm. um, is that where you're located now, or where do you? No, no, no. I'm actually located in uh, Westland, Oregon. Where is is that near Portland or? It's yeah, it's about twenty minutes outside of Portland. Yeah. Okay. So you're not gonna find anything out there. That's a private no. market. No, no, no way, Jose. Um, so yeah, you're gonna have to go out of state. What I would suggest is more of a secondary market. So, you know, there's primary, secondary, and tertiary markets. So primary markets, these won't work, right? These are like your Portland, um, Seattle, Tacoma, all of California, essentially, New York, Boston, D.C. It ain't going to work, right? You're going to be – if you're lucky enough to find a place in the ghetto, which we don't buy places in the ghetto, you know, your rental value is just going to be well under 1%. It's not yeah. going to work. Um Similar to like Hawaii, ain't gonna work. So, if you're looking for a larger city like a Birmingham, Atlanta, Indianapolis, Kansas City, Little Rock, um, you know Minnesota's a, your second second tier city. But I don't know if the rental value ratios work up there. But you know, you gotta do your own due research, right? But yeah, you know, like some of the tertiary markets, you might be kind of referring. I think Davenport might be a tertiary market, right? So like these are the cities that are under a quarter million population. Um, I wouldn't really suggest going there right off the bat, especially if you're remote. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. One of the things that um, Robert Kiyosaki would, would mention is he would like to you know find an area and run around in it and then just kind of notice which lots were for sale what and how long has it been there and that's how we'd start putting those deals together did you end up doing some of that kind of things um when you were initially getting started? <laughs> uncle kiyosaki he knows what's true and what's not but like look okay so i run a website called simple com. we cater towards higher paid professionals doctors lawyers engineers guys making you know almost six figures and definitely more um myself that was my pedigree i Came out of college, I had a decent salary. I was able to save money to buy rental properties. And, you know, we're talking about real estate investing. You need money to invest. For a lot of people that don't have 30 grand, 20 grand to their name, they have to go make money. And yep. that's where you're, you're seeing this world of wholesaling houses, flipping houses. It's all for people who don't have money yet, in my opinion. I, I focus on passive real estate investing. So all that driving around for for stuff, I mean, that's a waste of time in, in my point of view, right? For a lot of yeah. us, our highest and best use, and that might be, you know, you got a lot of entrepreneurs listening, right? That may be your highest and best use or a dentist client or doctor client of mine is just to do another surgery on the weekend, right? Than to screw around looking for distressed properties. And that was the, the situation that I was in. So yeah. this kind of goes outside of real estate, but what is your highest and best use? So I don't know how to do all that stuff, man. I, I never did it. I'm just a buy and hold passive investor. Yeah. Yeah. No, man, that's, that's, uh, I, I get that, man. That makes a lot of sense. Um, one of the things I do want to kind of go back to is <laughs> you were, you were mentioning, uh, Robert Kiyosaki and you're like, I don't know what's true about him. Like, I was just kind of wondering where that statement, cause I mean, he definitely influenced me quite a bit, but I, I mean, as far as like really looking into him as a human, I, I can't say that I have. So I was kind of wondering if I could get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, not, not to say anything about, like, the book and the story, if it's fiction or not, but, like, I think the, the beef that I have with the book is, like, it's a, it's a great book. I mean, it's, it's definitely the feeder and it unlocks a lot of people, and it's well-written. Well 
but it's a very mindset driven thing. There's no tactual things about it. It's kind of written like the Bible in a way. Yeah. Where people will construe the word and somehow they'll use it and now they're selling like essential oils. And it's like, uh, that's not <laughs> what that thing said. But it doesn't say anything. That's that's my problem with the book, right? It's like what are the tactual things that you need to be doing to achieve the hey man, you want some passive income? You know, come over here, right? You yeah. want pass I want that passive income, you know? Yeah. It's like it's kind of a salesy thing, right? And it is. And that's uh, there's a big part of this industry that it's all like smoke and mirrors and sales and trying to sell you to the next e-course to get rich quick. Yes. Most most definitely, man. And that and that's that's not what that's not really if you really start diving into how people created um generational wealth, it took a lot of time. It was a very slow process. And, um, I mean, outside of like, is your primary like investments, is that generally, is it only in real estate or have you diversified a little bit? I'm diversified a little bit, but I think real estate is something that anybody can do. Um, and there are three big reasons why I like real estate and why I've done it. And just by out of, I think maybe mishap, but I think I got lucky. Um, you know, real estate's a hard asset. It doesn't go up and down with emotion like how stocks do. Uh, it's leverageable, right? You, you, the government's giving you these badass loans to go out and buy the thing. And you get, if the property appreciates and you collect the cash flow stream, you don't need to share the profits with anybody. Um, and then lastly, you get all these great tax benefits. And that's, you know, for more accredited investors, you know, you, when you're going into larger deals, you're doing cost segregations and pulling out a bonus depreciation. And for people doing real estate professional status on taxes, you're able to offset your ordinary income. So I got doctors driving their income less than what a school teacher pays. It's yeah. Crazy. Yeah. And that's, that's one thing that we've hit on in this podcast before. Generally, um, not speaking from an investment, but just a, a, a comment. I, I think it was a fireside chat. We were kind of talking about poking fun at this uh, this a restaurant owner in California who has multiple restaurants, and he was like, "I'm I'm totally happy to pay my fair share of taxes." Taxes, and I was like, "Well, well, the people don't pay as many taxes as a general like a normal person with a nine to five because there are ways to bring their taxable income down." And I was wondering if you could kind of dive a little bit into that world, not too far, but just a little bit into kind of give us our listeners an insight of how one might do that. Yeah, I mean, essentially what they're doing is like a business makes money, right? Mm -hmm. But as a business owner, you want to try and get as much expenses, drive whatever expenses you can through the business to dr bring your income to almost nothing. Um, I mean, Trump paid 750 bucks on his last taxes. He probably chewed his guy out for missing something, so he doesn't pay, pay anything. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, I think, you know, this has been a very controversial, right? As this country is very bipartisan, people think that people who pay Trump taxes are dicks, right? But the way I see it, I mean, the people invest, the government creates this tax code to incentivize you to put your money towards these types of things, whether it be oil and gas investments, because the country needs more and more we need to get more dependent off foreign oil or real estate right like the investors putting their ass on the line when everybody's keeping their money under the mattress in the bank account or in the stock market like these are the people parring shit forward 
And this is why they don't pay taxes, because the government is saying that that is what they want to do with their money. If you do not do this, and you do not take that risk, yeah, bro, you got to pay taxes. <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. You have to, and, and not only that, from what you just said, to piggyback off of that, right, if, when, when you're paying taxes, you're giving it to an entity, right, that is not very good with money. So these people that have found ways around paying taxes, totally legal, by the way, they're driving us forward, right? They're making the best and most efficient use of their dollars. And that's very important when you want growth and innovation. I mean, you can't have one without the other. So, I mean, part of the reason we're having this conversation is to get people more enlightened and for them to understand, like, yo, like, your, your best use of your dollar as far as investment is probably going to be something that you can do as opposed to Uncle Sam or someone that's representing you that really doesn't have your best interests at heart. Really, I mean, that's what it boils down to. I, work, I was a city engineer and worked for the federal government for about five years. I will say amen to that. They are very wasteful with people's money. But it is what it is, and I, you know, it is what it is. I don't waste my time talking about that stuff. But yeah, I mean, when people, when you put your money into investments, the government gives you these incentives. So why, why, why fight it? Just go with it. Oh yeah, man, no, I, I hear what you're saying. I would say so. One of the things, I mean, I am a big fan of mindset. So, like, what, what are some of your? When I'm talking to a lot of successful, successful people such as yourself. I want to know, do you have any, like, morning routines or anything that you got to do every day to to make sure that you continue to operate at a high level? Um, I mean, I work out. You know, you're taking care of your body. It's important. But as far as, like, morning routine, I probably do exactly what they don't do. I just jump on the emails, do that for two or three hours. I don't meditate. I don't, I don't have time to do, go, do my goals, do that kind of type of nonsense. So... I've got shit to do, right? We're getting on immediately. This immediately popped up. Stop that. Yeah, yeah. The the, the papayas. Um, I like that. I mean, it has that has that always been the case, or is this something that you just developed more recently? Um, I mean, I just I'm just uh, running in the hamster wheel like everybody else, right? I mean, I think like the the point I'm trying to make is like. There's not do what works for you. There's not like one like you know you don't need to go sit in a hammock for two hours drinking temptations or whatever. I just waste my time. I got shit to do. Um, figure out what works. But I think that there's one key is like remove the remove the unnecessary stuff. Right. That's I think that's what I key in on. Yeah. Yeah. Getting rid of cutting through the bullshit. You know. Um, try and automate things if humanly possible or if there's a task that's not serving you or is inefficient try and do something better is that kind of what you're alluding to right i mean and you only have so much like life energy in a day yeah i mean you can you can work 15 16 hours but there's really only like a four or five hours where you can really get focused deep work in and that's what ultimately people pay for they don't pay for you kind of screwing around on social media or liking this comment or that comment. They, they pay for you creating deep work and big projects. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's, uh, 
that's really what I was trying to get to. I, I do agree with you that you, like, from my window is a little bit short. I would say two and a half, three hours of, like, very deep and meaningful concentration are probably all that I'm going to be able to, to get out of myself in a day. I mean, I think that the threshold's a lot, a lot greater than what it used to be, but I would definitely agree. Like, finding those flow states when you're really working – is is a challenge but man when you when you get on one of those it's uh it's incredible and there's really nothing like it so i mean you you kind of said you work out i mean are you like a member of a crossfit gym or what kind of exercise are you you yeah that's what i like it's quick and quick and done right (laughs) (laughs) dude you're you're all about it i like it you you get down to brass tacks that's good yeah yeah last year and a half yeah i only got so much time second of time right well it's tough in the beginning right you can't say that when your net worth is under half a million million bucks yeah when it does things change that's true that's true but you can also say no to a lot of the bullshit you have a lot more options which is a big reason why i i think we got to try and get as many people wealthy as humanly possible is because money doesn't make you inherently happy right but it buys options and options tend to make people a lot more happy like you know you you don't have you don't have to do what you're doing right i would assume you do yeah. what you do because this is what you want to do well money yeah it, to your point money is not everything but it sure makes life a lot easier <laughs> yeah it's like a easier life exactly absolutely man so um to uh, you went to University of Washington, um, and uh, did, did you study in that area or just work in that area? Yeah, so I was up in Seattle for about a dozen years, um, up there in the cold and rain. Um, kind of, you're pretty pretty familiar with that a little bit up there in oh, the yeah. Northwest. Oh yeah, definitely. So you, you got the fuck out of Dodge, or did you stick around? Yeah, I stuck around. Fuck yeah, that's that's awesome, dude. That's that's really awesome. Yeah. Um, and then like, but oh, but I think on. you know, like to your earlier point, right? Like, I think that's what gets me going. Is the mission is I started to real like when I started to invest initially, I was like, I'm making like thirty percent on these rental properties, but then like, how is it that I'm only I've been told to put money in this retirement stuff, four hundred one k's, mutual funds. How am I making like supposedly eight to ten percent? WTF, right? Where did all my money go? Yeah. And I, that's where I started to realize that this in, system is engineered in such a way that we put our money into this retirement accounts, mutual funds, all this, these Wall Street type of investments. And little do we know that a lot of our money is being taken away. How is it that a guy can, you know, if you just went and bought a rental property, you have 20 grand, you could go buy a $100,000 rental property and you'd be off in more than cash flowing a few hundred bucks a month saved up again in a couple of years. This is just how I did it. In a couple of years, I bought another one. 
right? And then in another couple of years, I bought another one and just kind of had, after some fun, I bought more every yeah. year. But if, you know, if you just did this for five years, you'd be done working in less than a decade. Yeah. You know, society would crumble, most likely. <laughs> right? People wouldn't do anything, most likely. But the system is engineered in such a way where it keeps people working. Right? Exactly. But there's another path that is something that anybody can do. It doesn't take a rocket science. They go get a property manager. They go put in a tenant for you. And then whatever happens, happens after that. And you kind of go with the punches. But then the more and more properties you get, the more robust the portfolios get. Absolutely. When, when you say get a property manager, like how much is that going to cost someone? And what, what are some good reputable property manage, management companies that you might recommend to some of the, somebody listening? Yeah, so just to kind of get into the numbers a little bit, a property manager will typically take 10% of your rent. Right. Most of your mom and pa investors are doing this the wrong way. They, they try and do it in-house by themselves. It's stupid, in my opinion. If yeah. they're, do, they're doing that because the, the property doesn't cash flow. Mm -hmm. They're idiots to begin with. So I mean, people can go to my website, download the free analyzer. I think it's at simplepathofcashflow.com slash analyzer. But you know, like on this $100,000 house that rents for $1,000 a month, you know, each of my fingers is 100 bucks. 10% going to your property manager, 10% is going to repairs and maintenance. Another 100 bucks should go to like a rainy day fund and you know, you're going to have vacancy, right? People are going to be moving in and move out. You're not going to have that thing filled all the time. And then maybe 500, 400, 500 bucks is going to go to your PIP, your mortgage payment. So you should have maybe a few hundred, a couple hundred bucks. Of ca that's cash flow every month. And yes, mm -hmm. some month, you know, something's going to break going to be negative but sometimes some months it's going to be fatter than that but that's essentially how the numbers break down so we're, yeah. we're kind of moving away from the traditional um, dogma of the accumulation theory right basically just throw money into this 401k thing hope you get rich right mm -hmm. basically take take the fees off your back without even knowing it and you know you're you just what do they say save up a couple million bucks and then live off of it and then you just situation right in game situation you're going to have to convert that to cash flow you can't you're going to need to eat right mm -hmm. so i say why not begin with the end in mind and create multiple streams of income today and live off of it today right buy that one passive rental property with the property management and then the nice thing is if you're still working that job you don't need to eat that like the, the profits so you use that to accumulate more and more properties and just shit just goes gangbusters after a little while yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, your next question is right. Like operationally, well, what what do we find the next a property manager? Well, this here's the trouble with this thing, right? It's this is a relationship business where my suggestion would be to find other pure passive investors doing the same thing, and it's extremely hard to do because Chuck and Larry in cubicle land next to you isn't doing this shit. They're just doing it the, the traditional way. They don't have the connection, so you have to find other people to do that stuff and get referrals off of them. 
you know, don't go walk down to your local big bank or your local realtor because those are the people you don't want managing your property. You're just working with the dude who can't sell houses. If you can't do something as simple as sell a house, you definitely don't want him to do something that's semi-difficult like managing a property for you and dealing with tenants. Yeah. It, I to, I, it makes a lot of sense, man. Like, it is definitely a relationship-based industry. And, I mean, I guess when I'm – so one of the questions I wanted to ask you before we kind of turn this off, but how do you – how has the, the pandemic affected – um, this market and the renter's economy. Like, I know you mentioned you answered that earlier, but like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, great question. So uh, we don't really care because we invest in red states. We stay the heck away from the socialist capital of California or where people get free rent. Mm-hmm. Where we invest, not only is the economy kicking butt of the coastal markets, <laughs> Seattle, California, and you just go Google all the cities, all the all the people from California getting the heck out of there and going to places like Texas or other places in the South. Yeah. You know, we like Texas, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Phoenix. We like those types of places. Um, they're typically more pro-economy and they're typically more pro-landlord laws, and that's where we like to be. I'm not saying that it's right or wrong politically, but when I'm the landlord. The rules are when you can't pay, you can't stay. Yeah, no, that makes that makes a lot of sense. So, I mean, so yeah, across the statistics are across my forty-two hundred unit portfolio. Normally, we collect about ninety-seven percent of the rent, and we always going to have a few deadbeats not pay, mm-hmm. and that's just natural, pandemic or not. But yeah, through the pandemic, I mean, maybe on average it dipped down to the mid nineties a little bit, but went right back up. Some some markets even outperformed. COVID. Oh, really? Yeah. So, I mean, this is exactly why we invest in this type of areas. I don't think I mentioned it, but we stay in the workforce housing sector. So, not the high end, not low end, but like regular people houses where they're renting for 700 bucks to 1200 a month. Okay. That might be crazy to us who live in Oregon, Washington. California, but most people in America, that's what they pay for housing. It's no, no, definitely. I mean, and that's that's that makes so you're thinking like single family homes, correct? Generally, is what you're going after. In, initially, that's what I did, but today, you know, I'm buying apartment complexes and the same same type of clientele, right? That workforce, that the class B renter. Okay. They got a they got a good blue collar job, um, just trying to get by, right? You know, they're not too much. They're not really economically mobile. They're not going to really buy a house to live in. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's where we stay, and that's you know because these guys they need good quality housing. Yeah, no, most definitely. So what um what are you what are your thoughts on kind of Airbnb? Like, are you are you a fan of that type of investing, like, um, or no? No, not really. I mean, short-term rentals investing is more catering towards your leisure travel, which is more the high-end stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's – I want to invest in things. If you look at my portfolio, it's boring stuff. In a recession, if 
seems to be that the room is supposedly better than the one that they did have. Short-term rentals that happen, some people can't travel or they can't do that. Well, it goes away and people yeah. are screwed, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, call me crazy, but I invest for cash flow. I don't invest for appreciation, and I invest with quote in recession-proof assets. Yeah, which which is a really good thing when you're investing in apartment complex. I think Grant Cardone stated, he's like, when, when the economy goes to shit, I am making a fuck ton of money because people that maybe have had houses can't afford them anymore, and then they go back into the apartment complex. Right, the you know the whole cascading effect, right? That's why we don't we don't go to the luxury class A stuff because you know our time is the idea is that those guys are losing their jobs coming to these countries to leave the business. We never really saw any of that happen through this pandemic. The pandemic yeah. didn't really impact multifamily housing, not at all rate stayed the same so that's why i'm pretty i'm pretty uh, optimistic that's what's happening and this whole thing goes and you know things kind of open up and some amazing things are going to be happening in the multifamily market i think so as well i definitely think so as well do you worry about the potential of the minimum wage increase affecting the market at all? I mean, I, I would assume it would be a good thing, but I mean, I kind of want to get your thoughts. Dude, all that stuff, like whatever, whoever's in office, whatever tax things get changed, whatever these kind of rules, heads I tail, heads I win, tails I win. Yeah. Because it's always, <laughs> this is a silly, like, whatever they do, all this, like $1.9 trillion that's going in the market now, where does it go? Well, eventually flows to the investors. Yeah. He's going to pump a lot more money into the system, which people got to pay rent, right? Yeah. Everyone needs uh, a place to, to stay. And, place and to stay. in this country, we have a shortage of workforce housing. Yeah. Have you, when, like, do you ever, um, like, have you looked into, like, uh, well, some of the markets outside of Iowa, I was thinking about potentially Montana. I understand there's been a large migration of folks to central and eastern Iowa. I'm not sure if that's primary or secondary market. Um, and then I'd also oh, – Let's check my handy-dandy map here. Look at that. Oh, he's busting out a map, folks. A map of the world. Blue circle, so that is a fifty thousand to hundred thirty-four thousand population town. So I, I mean, I I like to stay in a you know half a million at least population. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is you're gonna have a lot of property managers, a lot of vendors, right? It's not like a small town where you're gonna need to, you really need to be ingrained in that market. Right? Yeah. But take the hint, man. Like a population is all moving south. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> warmer climates. I mean, just follow the population growth. Why? I, you're, I think you're making like a common, like I have an incubator group that kind of helps newer investors, and I have them do this for a couple months where they go and, you know, find markets to invest in. And I tell them, hey, it's good you did all the research. It was just a waste of time. Just go pick from these twelve markets that are yeah. mostly in the southern hemisphere. 
because it doesn't matter. At that point, it's who you work with, right? Finding a good broker, finding a good property manager, somebody you can trust, and more importantly, off referral, someone in your network. That's what matters more than you going lollygagging off on your own, doing your Zillow or Minot or you know, like even in Boise, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's true. No, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you kind of called me out on that, man, because I, I have all these wild ideas about, and I think the problem where I get hung up is these are places that maybe I would like to go or would like to check. So there's a, a bit of an emotional component to these choices, right? What do you want to go to Missoula for? Dude, Missoula's dope, man. It's a lawless land. They've got a nice little brew culture going on there. You've got Glacier <laughs> that's just like an hour and a half away. It's good fly fishing. I don't know. Less people. It seems I don't. It's a pipe dream. I'm not. I would ideally probably want to buy a vacation home there. Just saying. Yeah, I spent a lot of time in Kalispell, Minot, Boise. Shredding some fresh pow pow up there, bro. No, I used to work for the railroad, so whatever the railroad went, that's where I went. Oh shit, man! <laughs> that was this. Is, which which railroad did you work for? Uh the orange one with the red sign. <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably UP UP Pacific or something like that. That's funny. I, I'm uh, my day job, right? I'm in logistics, so I, I do I move things over the rail quite often. Cool, cool. Just so saying. I was a road Oh yeah. Politically incorrect, I think these days, but they still call them that. The the guys who work on the tracks. Okay. I supervise those guys doing that type of stuff, and yeah, that job sucked, man. <laughs> sucked. You know, yeah. if you're in Minnesota, whenever these guys came in, they have like snot in their nose hanging off, and it's all frozen. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? It's cold out there. <laughs> like, stop going out there. But they gotta clean the switches. <laughs> like, serious. <laughs> yeah, man. So, I mean, I don't want to take up much more of your time, but do you happen to have? Any books like that you would recommend people reading? Yeah, um, I mean, I'm not a big fan of books. Um, I would, for like factual stuff or just understanding the fundamentals, I would recommend real estate. Any lender, real estate investors like Gary Keller. Go and make some mistakes after that. Um, but. I- I get started dude I'll have to have you back again man and kind of we'll kind of talk about where I'm going what I'm doing with it yeah go buy a go buy a rental property you know 
assuming that you got 20, 30 grand in the mm-hmm. bank, nothing's stopping you. You know, you got a good job. You got to do two documents of W-2 income. You know, you can go to any bank and get a Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac loan. Um, I've got some lenders. Uh, they All the lenders are the same. They all go get it from the government. Yeah. Like, they're all looking at the silly computer screen and just selling you the loan. That's how the game works. I would probably typically not recommend going to a big bank because they don't know what you're doing. They don't know that you're not putting all the work in there and you're just like, I don't know, you're doing whatever you want, whatever you want, whatever you want. I'm just doing this. I'm just doing that. I'm just doing this.